This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast, particularly to this Easter week 2022 Equip Podcast. My name is Mark Vance. I'm the lead pastor at Cornerstone Church and glad to be with you. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast and I hope this week you get a dose of hope. This is the week of Easter 2022. I'm actually recording this podcast during the week. We'll have Monday, Thursday that Christians celebrate looking at uh, the gathering of Christ with his disciples as he washes their feet, and then ultimately through the Holy Week where he celebrates Passover with his disciples, where he is arrested, tried unjustly, crucified, and then risen again. And I thought as we look toward that event, the resurrection, the hope that is so central in Christianity, I would take a little bit of time to unpack one of the most important um, works around the resurrection written, I think probably the most important work written uh, in the last hundred years or so, which is N.T. Wright's book, The Resurrection of the Son of God. To give you a little summary, N.T. Wright's book is 850 pages of New Testament scholarship at its best and at its finest. And at its core, that book is a historical book written to summarize the, the historical evidence and argument for the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And I thought as we look at Easter week, it's incredibly important again and again for us as Christians to remember that the resurrection of Jesus isn't just some sort of mythical story. It's not just some nice make-believe fairy tale. But the claim central to the Christian gospel is that the resurrection of Jesus is a historical event, and that because of that resurrection of Jesus in the midst of human history, we now have a clue to what God will do in remaking our bodies, and not just us, but the whole world one day in Jesus. The resurrection is the preview of what God means to do to set this whole world right again that has been broken by sin. And so N.T. Wright's book, The Resurrection of the Son of God, is an incredibly persuasive work of history that grounds the Christian faith. And so what I'm going to do is try to take 850 pages, put a summary of that into about 15 minutes here as a way to just stir your hope and your affection for Christ this Easter week. And so let's kind of review how the argument of the resurrection of Son of God works, and I think it will help to give you some grounding for your faith. The book is written 850 pages. It's in five parts. And all of it is trying to answer this big question. How did the story of the resurrection of Jesus get to be written down in the New Testament, and why was it believed and spread around by early Christians? And so, to get to that as a historical argument, what N.T. Wright does, he's a great English New Testament scholar, is he breaks this book into five parts. The first, which he calls setting the scene, he reviews Jewish and secular literature. And his big point there is, if you look at the secular pagan literature, some people would say, well, the story of Christianity is just a mythology that has been kind of copied down from secular sources. The problem with that is as N.T. Wright surveys the pagan sources, they don't have stories of resurrection embedded in them. Greek literature, Roman literature, etc., when people die, they die. They don't rise back. And so a story of the resurrection where the dead raised is absent from pagan literature. So saying the explanation for why early Christians did that is they were just repeating another mythology doesn't really work. 
Now, by contrast, he reviews the Jewish literature, and he says in the Old Testament teaching and in uh, pre-Second Temple Judaism, so the Judaism before Jesus, their teachings are strikingly different. There's clearly a strong belief in the resurrection of the body from the dead at the end of human history. And it's in this section that N.T. Wright offers to us a definition of resurrection that I really think is important. He says, resurrection is life after life after death. So let's explain that. In the Jewish mind, when a person died, they knew there was life after death. And in this intermediate state, they said a person is alive still, even though their physical body is dead. In other words, the eternal soul, the person, continues in their existence forward, even if their physical life has ended on earth. There's life after death. But resurrection is one step further. Resurrection is a reunion of the physical body into the physical world. It is life after, life after death. And so to quote N.T. right here, he says, a Pharisaic and rabbinic view of resurrection then always involved two stages, an intermediate stage in which the dead were in some way or another still alive, and a final stage in which they would be re-embodied, reunited with their physical body. So resurrection, the definition there is it is life after, life after death. It is a reunion of the physical body with the person's life after death intermediate state self. So that's resurrection. And it was taught widely in Judaism. It was a very common belief. Okay? But this is incredibly key here. In Judaism, the Jews believed in resurrection, but they were absolutely convinced it happened at the end of history. So, in other words, resurrection would happen when, when you saw people raised, like Elijah is alive again, Moses is alive again, Abraham and the patriarchs are alive again. It's the signal that the kingdom of God has come to earth at the end of history and that the end of all things has come. Okay, that's the summary of the Jewish teaching on resurrection. Part two of Wright's book, he talks about the resurrection in Paul's literature in the New Testament. What he does there is he shows that Paul's understanding of resurrection is really a development or a mutation of early Christian belief on, or rather early Jewish belief on resurrection. So Paul doesn't diverge from the Jewish understanding of resurrection. It is life after, life after death, and it is a physical raising of a physical person back to physical life. Paul teaches that. The big change from the New Testament teaching that Paul writes compared to early Jewish literature is Paul's central claim. Here's the quote, that one person, the Son of God, has already risen from the dead in advance of everyone else and in the middle of human history. That is something completely foreign to Jewish teaching. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it prior to the New Testament. This idea that someone has been raised from the dead never to die again in the midst of human history, that is unique, and it shows up in Paul. In part three, Wright continues forward. He looks at the rest of the New Testament and early Christian literature and again identifies that a strong belief in bodily resurrection was pervasive throughout the New Testament and it was constantly referenced throughout the early Christian literature. And the key point that he makes in part three of his book is that the New Testament doesn't teach that resurrection is a disembodied spiritual life. 
Okay, so some people say, like, after you die, yeah, you're going to continue to exist somewhere, and you have a spiritual life that goes on forever. That's not what Christians think the resurrection is. N.T. Wright's very, very clear on this. Christians believe that resurrection is a real body physically raised again. To support that, then, in part four of the book, he examines particularly the Eastern narratives themselves throughout the Gospels as they're written in the New Testament, again emphasizing this point. The New Testament and the Gospel writers, they believe that Jesus wasn't just spiritually raised from the dead, that this was a teaching that was common in, um, and still is, by the way, in what we would call liberal Christian circles. They would say, well, yes, Jesus died, but his spirit has continued on. You know, the spirit of Jesus is alive today. That's not what the New Testament teaches when it comes to resurrection. The New Testament teaching is Christ died physically at the hands of the Romans in crucifixion. But then the Eastern narratives are clear to again and again emphasize the physicality of the resurrection of Jesus. Wright points out that they make a big deal about things like him eating fish with the disciples. There's this big deal about Thomas touching the wounds of Jesus. Because again and again, the Eastern narratives of Christianity, they, they again and again come to this big idea that Jesus, he wasn't just spiritually raised, he's physically alive never to die again. He's resurrected. He is the Son of God, already risen from the dead in the middle of human history. Okay, then part five of N.T. Wright's book, The Resurrection of the Son of God, comes to this, puts all the pieces together, and it poses this incredibly important historical question. The question is, how do we explain this teaching of early Christianity popping up into being in the middle of human history. How is it that in a thoroughly Jewish background, out of a city of Jerusalem, this new teaching that had never been written of prior to that point, of a person being raised in the midst of human history, never to die again, how does that teaching come to be? And how can it be that these early Christians begin their movement saying, we know who the Messiah is, his name is Jesus, we know that the kingdom of God has come, and we know that the resurrection of the dead has already happened. When in Jewish thought, the kingdom of God was clearly defined as the end of the age in the Jewish golden era where the Messiah was on the throne in Jerusalem, Jewish thought clearly had an idea of a Messiah as God's reigning king. And they said at the end of the age, when everything happens, everyone who is a believer in God will be raised to new life. But yet these early Christians take that Jewish teaching and they say, well, that's not happening simply at the end of the age. It's happening right now. Right now, the kingdom of God has come. Right now, Jesus has a Messiah. And right now, he's ruling and reigning resurrected in the midst of human history. This is a challenging historical question. What on earth would have happened that would have caused them to act, speak, and think that way? Like, how do you get the idea in early Christianity that Jesus is God's Messiah, that he's come in the midst of human history and he's raised from the dead? You see, when you try to answer that question historically, you have to come up with some explanation. You know, you can say, well, they're drawing on other literature, you know, they're kind of copying a new mythology, right? has already proven that that's not the case. There's no mythologies that talk about resurrection this way. 
You could say, well, they just have built on uh, Jewish teaching from the day. Wright has proven that there's no Jewish teaching that anticipates anything ever like this. And so his question in part five of his book is so important historically. How on earth do you explain that early Christians made this claim over and over and over again? Jesus is the Messiah, God's promised king. Jesus was crucified, buried, killed by the Romans, and he is now alive again, and we are following him. And Christians not only claimed that, they would go to their death believing it, happily embracing death because they believed that Jesus, who had been raised, would raise them as well. I mean, especially Wright makes the point in part five of his book that this is especially stark when we think about the fact that Jesus was crucified and killed by the Romans. You know, Jewish people, they were so oppressed in the first century, and they so longed for a coming king to overthrow them from the Romans that we have numerous early, kind of like first century and prior, messianic figures. People who pop onto the scene claiming or at least their followers claiming that they're the Messiah. They're the promised king who's come to set the Jewish people free. But yet every time one of these messiahs rises up, whether it's in the Bar Kokhba revolts or others in the early times of Jewish interaction with the Roman Empire, every time a messianic figure rises up, Rome solves that problem quickly by executing that figure. And the death of that messiah conclusively proves to the people looking on that that person could not be God's promised king. But yet, think of it, think of it. This Jesus of Nazareth, that's exactly what happens. And so here's the quote from Wright I'll read. He says, why did Christianity even begin, let alone continue as a Messiah-focused movement when its Messiah so obviously did not do what a Messiah was supposed to do, but instead suffered a fate that should have conclusively proven he could not possibly have been Israel's anointed? Why would a group of first century Jews who cherished the hope of the Messiah and focused them on Jesus of Nazareth continue to believe he was the Messiah despite his execution on a cross? Why would these same people actively announce him to the pagan as well as the Jewish world that he is the Messiah, cheerfully redrawing the picture of Messiahship around him and refusing to abandon him? How do we explain all of this coming to be, guys, in the middle of human history? Here's Wright's answer. He says it's this, that Jesus was raised from the dead, that that historical event happened, And it changed absolutely everything about the way they saw the world. N.T. Wright, when he summarizes it, he says then, Easter is when hope in a person surprised the whole world by coming forward from the future into the present. What the Jewish people of the first century, what Jesus' disciples would have thought would have only happened at the end of the age— They believed they had seen now the dawning of the end of the age, of the kingdom of God come because Jesus was raised from the dead. N.T. Wright says the only possible, logical, historical explanation we have for a group of first century Jews making the radical claim that someone had been raised from the dead in the middle of human history never to die again, the only possible explanation we have historically that's credible is that it happened. 
Not that Jesus faked his death and was spiritually raised, not that his followers. No, the best explanation for the facts we see in the New Testament is that it happened, that Easter Sunday was real, that Jesus, who was the Christ, the Messiah, died, was buried by the Romans, and that he has risen again. And if he's risen again, then Wright goes on, I'll read a couple more quotes of his. He says, then that means God's plan is not to abandon the world that he said was very good. God's plan is to remake it. He will one day raise all his people to new bodily life, to live in this new perfected world, just like he did with Jesus. This is the promise of the Christian gospel. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven and to fully accomplish it one day when Christ returns as the resurrected and risen King. It's an incredible hope. You know, N.T. Wright's book, it's, it's a dense book of New Testament scholarship, but it's make it, it makes an incredibly persuasive historical argument for the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as I think about Easter Sunday, I love the pageantry of it. Guys, I love... I love baptisms Easter Sunday. I love Good Friday services and the chance to reflect on Christ. I love gathering with God's people to sing about the truth of the resurrection. But I love most of all that that this is not just some sort of wish wishful thinking fairy tale hope, but this is a grounded hope based on historical evidence, historical reality. You know, again and again I come back to this. Paul says in his New Testament writings that the center of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I want to deliver to you what I first received, what is of first importance, that Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul goes on to say, if the resurrection's not real, we are of all men to be pitied. We're, we're believing nonsense, but if the resurrection is real, then it is a signal that one day, just as God has raised Jesus, he will raise all things. The resurrection is the center of Christianity. I think if you ask the New Testament Christians, what's the central idea we need to understand about Jesus? They would have said, well, Jesus is the promised king. He's God's Messiah. And he was crucified for our sins. And he was resurrected to prove that one day God will make everything new. The resurrection and the cross. A cross and an empty tomb are the center of the Christian hope. And on this great Easter weekend, my hope is that you again go back to that old story and you build your faith and your life upon it. And if perhaps you're someone who wonders about whether Jesus is worth following in all of the turmoil of what Christianity is and all the struggles of how Christians live, I would just simply want to point you back to this central question. How do you explain the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? How do you account for this? This man who's risen to new life in the midst of human history, how do you account for the stories of his followers, writing that down, giving their lives, believing it? My whole life, I've been unable to come up with a better explanation than the one that N.T. Wright offers. With 850 pages of scholarship, you can state it in only a few words. The best explanation is that it happened. That Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah of God, He lived a perfect life. He died a sinner's death, but that ultimately he was raised from the dead to new life, never to die again. 
that one day this great king of God, Jesus, will come back, and just as he was raised to new life, he will make everything new on that final day. I'm hoping that this podcast just prepares your heart a little bit for a wonderful celebration of the hope of the gospel this Easter. God bless you as you build your life on the fact of the resurrection of God as you celebrate that with your church this Sunday. I'm hoping to see all of you, by the way, at Cornerstone. We got Good Friday services coming up this Friday, April 15th at 6.30. We've got Sunday and Saturday Easter services, 6.30 p.m. on Saturday, and then on Sunday mornings, 8.45 and 10.45. So if you're in Ames, I hope you join us. And if you're listening to this outside of Ames, I just want to urge you, get together with God's people, sing the praises of Jesus, rejoice in the resurrection hope that is yours, and build your life in a confident faith on the Son of God who lived, died, and rose again for you.